in today's show. We're looking at the Atlanta Hawks. What happened? What's going to happen? Did the Quinn Snyder impact really impact as much as we might think it did? I don't know, but we'll try and find out. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at basketballmonster.com. And you can find me on Twitter as always at redrock underscore b-ball and TikTok at redrock underscore b-ball and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Download the Game Time app, create an account and use the code Locked On NBA for 20 bucks off your first purchase. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free, and we are available on all platforms. So it's time to delve into the Atlanta Hawks, a team that did make a coaching change mid-season. As I referenced earlier, Quinn Snyder came in. They made a trade. So a lot of their season-long numbers, I don't know how relevant they are, but we're going to talk about it. I'm going to try and break it down. I'm going to try and see what we can get out of it. So let's get it on, Gilly. <laughs> Hit the wrong button, but that's fine. Sometimes we do that, don't we? Because my stupid dogs annoy me. Anyway, let's go. Atlanta Hawks. They were 41 and 41. So didn't make the playoffs. Whereas the team... Or did make the playoffs, sorry. Whereas the team we did yesterday, New Orleans Pelicans, were 42 and 40. And they didn't make the playoffs. That's the impact of the playing game. And of course, the uh, the conferences having the impact there. But the Hawks' net rating significantly worse than their record. Plus 0.1. 19th in the NBA. So again, when I said we try and decipher these numbers... 41 and 41, they were overall a worse team than that. But is that because Nate McMillan was a bad coach? Is it because, you know, how much does the Quinn Snyder impact? Look at that, because usually if you see a team that finishes 500 but's got a net rating that's like that, neutral, you expect regression next season. But there's a new coach there. And there could be very different players in the starting lineup or in the rotation as well. So I'm not sure how much that makes sense. Ninth best offense, 21st best defense, um, yeah, they tried to make moves to bring defense in, in DeJounte Murray. And in the end, it probably just handicapped their offense a bit and didn't improve their defense enough. Their best lineup, a very interesting lineup because it's basically, well, not basically, it's literally Trey Young and bench players. Trey Young, Bogdan Bogdanovich, the depressed penis Sadiq Bey, Jalen Johnson, and Anyekara Kongwu. These lineups are from Cleaning the Glass. They're for lineups that played over 100 possessions. And I used to, to filter out players who remained on the team at the end of the season. Now, this is the best lineup regardless of that. It played like 130 possessions. So it wasn't a huge amount, but it was an absolutely gigantic plus 63.7. And part of the, the problem with the Hawks is the way that the rotations and lineups are set is that I don't particularly love DeAndre Hunter as a player. I don't know how you differentiate between a Kongwu and a and Capella. John Collins has regressed pretty hard. And the fact that Bogdanovich, Bay, Johnson, and Kongwu are all bench guys and are able to combine with Trey and provide stuff that makes a lot of sense, like a guy that's not afraid to shoot in Sadiq Bay, a guy that's not afraid to shoot, but they actually go in in Bogdanovich, an athletic big man with some bounce and defense in, in um, Jalen Johnson, and a younger big man in a Kongwu. 
like versus Hunter and Murray and Collins and Capella. Very interesting. Doesn't tell us everything, but it tells us there are questions, I think, questions to be answered with this team as we move forward. That's what I think it tells us. Their free agency, well, there's nothing there really, is there? It's Aaron Holiday as an unrestricted free agent. Literally, sorry, Aaron, but who cares? And Trent Forrest as a restricted free agent. Also, who cares? There's so no real big decisions they need to make. And do they bring Trent Forrest back? Doesn't kill us either way. Do they bring Aaron Holiday back? Almost definitely not. Because he was bad. Again, in the draft, they have pick 15, which according to my mock draft ADP database would land them Nick Smith Jr. I know this doesn't mean a single thing, but what I find interesting is that in my NBA 2K franchise, I've got the real draft class loaded in there. Nick Smith did get picked by the Hawks in that, and he's turned into an absolute multi-time All-Star playing for the Hawks as like a 90-plus overall player. That doesn't mean shit, but it's interesting that he ended up on the same team. Smith had a really poor um, college season after entering, probably as a top five prospect. So does he go the way of former Hawks top five prospect legend Cam Reddish and be nothing in the NBA? Possible. But that's an interesting pick. And then pick 46, they've got in the second round, Nikola Durisic. Some people really like Durisic. Some people don't even have him in their top 60. Wouldn't say he'd be an impact player for this team, but that's how based on my mock draft ADPs, um, those picks would pan out. Now, a few interesting questions came in, but I'm going to go to this one from Capaquitic, who says, as an 11-year consecutive season ticket holder, did I make the correct decision this offseason not to renew with a 30% cost increase after our owner traded Kevin Herter for a bag of peanuts to stay under the tax? And the reason I think this is an interesting question, not because I've been telling you what to do with your money, because I, I can't do that, but that is a, a big, big question with this team. They made this all-in move, and it wasn't 100% all-in, but it was pretty all-in, like trading away multiple first-round picks and swaps for DeJounte Murray, when, as you're well aware, if you listen to this podcast, that I was very much like, uh, is DeJounte Murray actually that good? That was my number one thing. I said, I don't think he's that good, right? And the fit was weird. It didn't really work out. They did that. and said, we're going in. And they said, oh, yeah, but you know what? We don't want to pay for other guys that make sense. And they traded Herder away because the, the tax concerns and they got back nothing, Justin Holiday in that deal. And, a, and a, a pick, which didn't convey. We'll see when that ends up conveying from the Kings. Um, and then to have that cost increase and then the turmoil with the Travis Schlenk situation, the firing of a coach, I I don't know. Now me, I'm just someone who's been like, well, if I've been supporting the team, I'll continue to support the team. They are my team. I will support them. Not not 100% blindly, but I would keep doing that. But that is a problem. And I say this not to tell you to your right to not renew. I probably would have renewed. That, that's fine. But it does go to show a little bit of where this team sits and what the ownership group is thinking, whereas they can make cost-cutting moves on the basketball side, yet bump prices up on a season ticket side, that this is more, shouldn't, don't, you should make money if you want to, that's fine. But is the focus making money or is the focus being better at basketball? And that's where we're going to run into some big question marks with this team because that suggests that perhaps the focus is making money and not winning basketball games, which, which can run together. They just do, those two things can one can go together. Golden State Warriors. The Hawks don't necessarily run that way, though. Today's episode is brought to you by the Game Time app. Tickets to your favorite events, it shouldn't be a hassle to try and get these tickets. It should be just an easy process, and that's what Game Time allows it to be. Flash deals, last-minute tickets, big discounts, easy to find for whatever sport, concert, 
comedy, theater, whatever it is you're trying to see, everything is there. You get images of the seat where you're picking, see what the view looks like from that seat. You get a lowest price guarantee, event cancellation protection, job loss protection as well. Don't have to plan months in advance. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event, hence the name Game Time. You'll always get the best price with their Game Time guarantee. And if you find tickets in the same section or row and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the code LockdownNBA for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply again. Create an account and redeem the code LockedOnNBA for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Let's talk players. Let's talk Trey Young, who I will refuse at all points to call Ice Trey. One of the worst nicknames of all time. Um, a dreadful nickname that is just stinks from every orifice. You could possibly find an orifice of a nickname. So we're not calling him Ice Trey. That's the last time that'll ever be uttered on this podcast. Trey Young was a disappointment. I thought he could be still a first-round guy, late first-round player, but he wasn't. He was 22nd in per-game value. He was 8th in totals. He was 17th in points leagues and ADP of 11. I just thought that he would be better. What I was right and wrong on this one with Trey. And I'll tell you what we're talking about here. He's only 24 still, and there is so much noise about, well, he gets all these coaches fired and he doesn't work with the teammates and when they look to trade him, blah, blah, blah. I I really don't think that that is going to be something they do. I thought he started to play better under Quinn Snyder towards the end. It wasn't his best season, but I think some of the hate of Trey Young goes way too far. He is still unbelievably good. He has some consistency issues and defense issues and you know body language and demeanor issues for, for sure. 100% that is true. But people are out here acting like he's Aaron Holiday at times. And we've got to get rid of him, dump him at all costs. Like, that's cool. Then maybe you win 30 games. That's yeah, We can talk about DeJounte Murray running the thing and all that sort of stuff. That gives you 34 games. It doesn't give you any sort of upside at all. He's 24. He played 30, 73 games, 35 minutes. And one of the things that I said when Murray came across is that I didn't downgrade, downgrade Trey that much because I said, hey, when you've got an opportunity to have someone with the ball in their hands to shoot or pass or set up an offense, you're going to pick Trey. It's not going to be Trey go and stand in the corner while DeJounte Murray does his thing because that leads to significantly worse offense. And I think that was sort of true. He still got the same usage, really, 33 usage. He still averaged 10 points per game. Sorry, 10 assists per game. He still got 26 points with 2.13s. But what happened? He couldn't shoot. That's uh, To me, it's as simple as that. And for as deadly as he can be with the long-range threes and all that sort of stuff, he has never proven, and this was also the case with someone like Devin Booker as well, where we think they're a great three-point shooter, but, and Booker's obviously improved that now, but that would go multiple seasons of being a 34% guy, which is what Bradley Beal is also at the moment. 33.4% from three, 43% overall. He's had like one season, Trey Young, of being a 38% three-point shooter. And that that's what kills it. If he shot 37% from three this season, well, he would have been a first-round player, I think. He would have averaged 28 points. He would have got 2.83s or whatever it is and still got the 10 assists and you're fine. That's it. You're sweet. Everything's there. So he didn't cop a gigantic hitting usage. He didn't cop any sort of real hit in assists. He still got double-digit assists. Remember last season, both Trey and DeJounte were over, I think, nine assists per game. 
it, the, the guy who lost out, which again was our thought process, well, my thought process, and if you listen to me, it was ours. We share that in common. Um, was that Trey would get his numbers and DeJounte would suffer it. And that's what happened, is that Trey just couldn't shoot. His impact stuff is all still really strong. You can see the Darko graph. He's, he dropped a little bit at the start of the season, but you can see it starts to improve towards the end when Snyder started to take over. Um, 93rd in EPM, 93rd percentile, 44th overall in Darko, 95th in estimated wins, 95th percentile, like 10.8. They're really strong numbers. His fantasy points graph is, is pretty strong. He played 73 games. He's a quick healer from ankle sprains. We've seen that multiple times, although he did have a shoulder issue this season, which cost him some time. He was still really, really good. And I think this season is going to push Trey Young out of the first round in fantasy drafts. And then what that means to me is it just strengthens the second round in fantasy drafts, where I'll be really confident that he's not going to be significantly worse than where what he was. I don't think he's being traded. And I think if he does get traded, I don't imagine huge changes in what Trey Young does. He's very, very good. He generates assists. He's one of the best passers in the NBA. He's a great floater guy. He's a great free throw player. He just needs to shoot better from three, which is a wild thing to say for Trey Young, but he does. Look at his EPM graph. Like The Snyder stuff happened around February, and then his EPM really pushed up a lot higher than what it was all season. Is Snyder the answer for Trey Young? I don't know, but that's also why I don't think that they're going to trade Trey in the offseason. Hey, let's see what happens with an offseason with a roster that gets reshaped, revamped, whatever they do with it. And let's see what Trey and Quinn can do. I don't think they're moving on. I don't think they're moving on from DeJounte Murray, but I think they should consider it. I didn't love the fit of these guys coming together. So DeJounte coming in, providing defense, sure. I thought he was a little bit overrated defensively, but the offensive fit was always clunky to me. And this is what we talked about so much on our Hawks preview stuff. Like, why would you try and deliberately decrease your offensive ability for maybe a marginal defensive um, increase. And I think that's what happened. He was, DeJounte Murray, ludicrously ranked to begin the season at like seven. I think it was at four on ESPN. And I laughed at that. It was ridiculous. I think I ended up having him about 24. And even that was way too high. But one of the things I did say with DeJounte, now, if I got Trey Young wrong, which I did, then I'll tell you that I got DeJounte right, which I did. And even though like, I didn't have him at 44, but what I said was, this is a guy that every year has been like the 40, 45th best player. And then he had that one season where he jumped up to be a first round player in, in the Spurs. And I said, what if that's the bullshit year? And that he just is a top 50 guy. That's who he is on a real team that doesn't just feed everything towards him, which that last San Antonio Spurs team did. And that was also the first season he ever averaged two steals per game. And we can't rely upon top three stat producers in the low volume categories to do that same number year on year. And that, panned out 100%. Is that a good rule of thumb to use? I think it is. Is it going to hit every time? No, it's not. He played tons of minutes. No problem with that. In the end, his ADP dropped to 21, which was still too high. Um, He ended up 44th in category leagues, 36th in points leagues. He played 74 games. He played 36 minutes. So it was interesting that they gave him more minutes than Trey as much as they did, but his usage went down to 24 and his assists went down from nine plus to six. His rebounds went down to five because he played with big men who could rebound in Collins and Capella. And he averaged 20 points with two threes, five rebounds, six assists, and the steals go from two to 1.5. It's why we can't trust that number. It might go back up to 1.8 next season. We go, well, there's a big recovery there. And in the end, that's one extra steal per every three games. Not a big deal. But it impacts fantasy so much. 46 from the field, 34 from three, 83 from the line. Impact-wise, significantly worse than Trey, 76 percentile EPM, 144th in Darko, LeBron had him 44th percentile compared to starters. That's pretty rough. And that Darko graph, he did improve a lot 
in San Antonio, but started to come back down this season. And I do think that has he been found out? Is that the right term? I, I don't think being found out is the right term, but on a team that's got playoff goals or playoff upside or wants to get better, this is DeJounte Murray. You, if you put the ball as in DeJounte Murray's hands as a 29 usage player, you don't get make the playoffs, I think. I think that's the best way to look at it, meaning that when we're trying to view his fantasy value as we move forward, he's also two years older than Trey as well. But when we try and look at his fantasy value moving forward, if he's going to be prized as an asset by other teams for his defensive capabilities, that you're not going to want him as the number one player, meaning he'll probably never, ever get back to that San Antonio Spurs level, would be my guess. Definitely not bad. Definitely not bad. But that first round production stood out like dog's balls. We highlighted why it stood out like dog's balls. And then it dog's balls its way back to being what he was the season before. His points lead graph, it looked pretty strong. Like his minutes, look how consistent the minutes are. Basically every game, the same minutes. And the production's relatively solid. Like he, he, was, he was good, no doubt. But if you were, if you did make the mistake and draft him round one or even round two, it burnt you a little bit. The round two one doesn't care that much. Taking him in round one, which is silly at the time, um, burnt you a lot. Look at his EPM graph. Like he's okay there, pretty solid. Quinn Snyder didn't really unlock a huge amount to me. And I still think that the best case scenario for this Hawks team is leaning into Trey versus leaning into DeJounte. Like trading away Trey to get DeJounte the, to be the main guy. I Look, you need to get good players back, obviously, in a Trey Young trade. But would you ever get back enough pieces to make up for Trey? Would you ever get back a piece as good as Trey? Probably not. That puts DeJounte in the driver's seat. And I think that makes you a sort of tread water team that's occasionally you know, swallowing gulps of seawater and having to spit it out. That's sort of where you sit. Am I being harsh? I don't know. I'm just trying to be realistic on, you know, if the ultimate goal is get to a conference finals, get to an NBA championship, get to second round of the playoffs, I don't think a DeJounte Murray-led team gets you there. Today's episode is also brought to you by Prize Picks in the NBA playoffs and the NBA finals. Prize Picks has the $1 million daily super flex promotion. Every day of the playoffs, one Prize Picks user gets a chance of becoming a millionaire. One entry every day placed after 8 a.m. Eastern will randomly be selected. Whoever placed that entry gets a six-pick flex with the following payouts. You get all six right, million bucks. You get five right, you get 80 grand. You get four right, you get 16 grand. So you're just choosing player projections. You're choosing more or less than the individual number. You put your your um, entry in, and one day you could get a chance to get all six right and get $1 million. You've got to go to pricepicks.com slash million must opt in at this link to be eligible for the million dollar entry. And once you opt in, all you got to do is play the game like normal and you can be the lucky winner. There are other sports as well. Major League Baseball, hockey playoffs, um, soccer, WNBA when that starts up, NASCAR, esports, tennis, MMA, boxing, disc golf, European basketball, cricket. It's all there. So download the PricePix app or go to pricepix.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, Price Picks will give you $100. If you deposit $50, Price Picks will give you $50. Don't forget to enter the promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. Let's um, go and talk about the Kerner, Clint Capella. Lisa needs braces. Oh, yeah. This guy just sort of keeps hanging around a little bit. 63rd ranked player in category leagues. 80th in points leagues, had an ADP of 80. There are a lot of people thinking that ADP was too high and, well, he's going to have a huge bounce back. But 
he only played under 27 minutes a night. He played 65 games and he is 29. Really like Clint Capella as a player, but I also think that I know a lot of people at the start of this season were thinking that he's going to be benched or going to be traded and it didn't happen. And I pushed back on that. I think this might be it. I think this might be it. I never thought that last season. I didn't think that the year before, but I think it's getting to that stage now where this is the time that it either turns into a full-on timeshare with him and Inyeka Okongwu, or he's just moved on and Okongwu gets the, the reins. Now, the interesting thing is that when Quinn Snyder arrived, Okongwu's minutes seemed to come down. Although in the playoffs, they were closer to an even split than they were. But in the regular season, Okongwu started playing fewer minutes when Snyder arrived. He has a 16% usage, Capella, 12 and 11, really good rebound numbers, clearly, but only 1.2 blocks. This is a guy that used to block huge amounts of shots that has come right down. 65% shooting, 11 rebounds. That's where, that's the value. Because you get nothing else. Low points, no threes, under one assist, 0.7 steals. It's rebounds, it's great field goals, and not much else. 60% from the line as well hurts. Impact-wise, he's still pretty good. 75th in Darko, 81st percentile EPM, 83rd percentile LeBron. Still, look at that Darko graph, still producing quality value. But it's getting to the stage where if you're going to trade him, like this time next year, he'll be 30. And the decline could hit at any point. And you've got a capable guy behind him that probably needs more minutes. So if you're going to cash in Klinkapala for maximal value, this is getting to the time that you do it. Now that offer might not be out there anywhere. And Capella can still be really, really productive. And you could easily make the argument, hey, Capella might be better for this Hawks team even next season. I, I understand that but I would think that there's a 10% chance of that being the case in 24-25. And that would mean that it's really tough to move on from the Kerner at that point and you get nothing back in return. So I think that you know, reading tea leaves, that this is probably 50-50 that he is even back on this team next season. And then you know, is it 50-50 that he even plays 26 minutes a night next season regardless of where he goes? I'd, I'd be really, really intrigued to see what they end up doing with him. Still impactful, still really good defensively, still showed quite a bit, but has had multiple seasons with that heel slash Achilles issue. Missed a chunk of time again here in the middle of the season with a, I think it was a hamstring injury, it was a calf injury that he injured, came back, re-injured, came back, re-injured. So you can see those two little dots where he came back and played random game. I think it was his calf, which again connects through to the Achilles. I'm not not sure on that, but maybe I should double check before I just tell you that it's his calf. Let's go find out if that's the case. Yes, it was listed as calf tightness and calf cramping, which was bullshit because it was a calf strain that caused him to miss all that time. And you can see on the EPM graph, all those blue dots of the missed games. Had a nice little spike here. It was still useful. Did drop a little bit at the end of the season as Okongwu started to play better. But his future is 100% up in the air here because the guy we're going to talk about now is really good. And that's Nyeka Okongwu. Okongwu somehow, despite being the backup, playing 23 minutes a night, was a top 100 player, not even including turnovers. If you look at his overall nine cat value, it's going to be higher because he doesn't turn the ball over. Um, he's like 75th on per game nine cat value. Again, a little bit misleading as all turnover based numbers can be. 131st in point season, ADP of 122. There were people drafting him in the top 100. I didn't buy into that for a second, but honestly, that ended up being wrong and you got value out of it. He's 22. 
He was a guy that I was super high on in the draft. I had him third overall in that draft. We won't talk about who I had second. It was Killian Hayes, bad call. But I had him third. And he played 80 games, 23 minutes, 15 usage. How was he able to be ranked so highly? Well, I think this is why it's important to delve into the numbers. And when you see a discrepancy of 40 spots between category and points league, there's got to be something happening there. He averaged 10 points, seven rebounds. That is not very good. It's fine. The rebounds are good. They're above average, but they're not great. One assist, 0.7 steals. Well, that's basically the same as Capella. What was he able to do? Oh, there it is. 1.3 blocks in 23 minutes, 64% and 78 from the line. So blocks, field goals, and free throws, which don't account for jack shit in points leagues, is what boosted him that high. You're still getting well below average points, no threes, below one, actually above average rebounds marginally, no assists, no steals. So you're getting blocks, you're getting field goals, and you're getting not hurt in free throws. You're getting average free throws. That's a useful player. And fantasy leagues cater, they artificially is not the right word, but they boost the value of big men all the time because you can only be, you don't need to be great in three categories. 64% shooting, you 1.5 blocks, say in 28 minutes, maybe it's 1.7 blocks and get a nine rebounds and you're a top 40 guy. That's all it takes because those numbers just boost you so high. So his advanced stuff is all pretty good. He's ranked 72nd overall in Darko. Remember Darko looks at what you've done, but also forward faces it and projects out. You can see how positive, especially the end of the season, how unbelievably good he looked towards the end of the year. We all know that. If you paid attention down this stretch, he was great. And we, I had him ranked in my top 25 players drafted out of the last three drafts that I did last week with Noah. He could very easily be a top 60 player next season, top 50 player. Honestly, it wouldn't shock me if in the next three years he has a top 25 season where he averages 15, 9, 1.7 steals, he can pass. He can pass a little bit. So that might be two and a half assists. The shot, I'm not sure it ever comes out. 31% shooting on three with 0.1 makes. That's nothing. But maybe. It's got more chance of it happening than Capella. EPM liked him. Estimated wins, which is EPM, but times value. Liked him. LeBron doesn't like him that much, but Darko does. You can see the blue line for his fantasy points start to be more... Um, in the middle there, there's spikes. That's because Capella was out. But at the end of the season, the numbers got higher even in limited minutes. His minutes stayed low. or actually got yeah, lower. And he was able to boost that number up. His fantasy points per minute production really rose as the season went on. He was putting up like top 40 numbers in 20 minutes a night, which was crazy. It's not likely to continue, but he did it. And it was really, really intriguing. So if you want to talk about Anyeka Okongwu, his dynasty value, it's really high at the moment. Because people saw what happened at the end of the season. They saw the minutes boost in the playoffs. And we were also seeing the, or the, the general ground, groundswell of thought is that he will be the starter next season or there's a good chance of it. So it is a little bit of a... Yeah, if you're buying him in Dynasty, it's probably the wrong time to do it. I think the value might end up being a little... I think he can... It would obviously depends on what you'd have to give up. But it's everything is pushing towards increased value for him. Really like him. I also do like John Collins, but it was a bad year. And I don't really know where we go from here with Johnny. The ADP at 57 was stupid. I think I, look, I got it wrong. I had him in the 70s, late 70s, I believe. 
but he didn't even finish top 115. He finished 117th in category leagues, 125th in points leagues. ADP of 57 was insane. But yeah, part of the reason why I knew that was insane was like, okay, well, he, he does need some usage and now you're bringing in DeJounte Murray, so he's going to get fewer looks. And that's exactly what panned out. 17 usage only. He still played 30 minutes and they were a lot lower than that early in the season. And he still blocked a shot per game, which we weren't sure he's going to be able to do. But 13 and 6, that's a far cry from the 20 and 10, the average two, three years ago. And part of the problem is he's jacked up his fingers so badly at the end of the previous season that he just has never recovered. He can't shoot 29% from three. This is a guy that had a 40% or 39% three-point shooting season a couple of years ago. 80 from the line is great. 51 from the field is great, but can't hit threes. That one three needs to be 1.8 threes. You get the extra 0.83s. You go to 15 points a game. But again, is it time? We know he's been on the trade block forever, but you feel like it's crescendoing. New front office or different front office, depending on how you want to view the Nick Ressler situation. Definitely a new coach, a full off season with a new coach. And Quinn Snyder allegedly has input on personnel. And if he just comes in and is like, I'm not starting this bloke. Like, move on. Like, it's not happening anymore. We're going to move on from him. It's possible. The advanced stuff would always a huge fan of him. It wasn't so much anymore. And you can see that Darko graph that basically as soon as he hurt his finger, which is in the end of that last season, that everything dropped way off. And that's just three-point shooting. So I can't say that it's never going to come back, but his impact has dropped quite a bit. 50th percentile on EPM is rough. Um, but this is a guy that, if he had 23 usage, he'd be back being a top 50, 60 player very easily. He can block shots. He can shoot free throws. He's a good field goal percentage guy usually. He used to be able to hit threes, get points, get rebounds, double-double guy with a block. It's unbelievable numbers. But now that the shot's gone, what team is ever going to put him into that role? I'll tell you a team where he'd be unbelievable if he went, and that's the Indiana Pacers. They have no forwards at all. Go to Indiana Pacers, start there, play 32 minutes, 17 and 9, block a game, easy. Like, no no questions. But you've got to find the right team. So his future in Atlanta, I'm very down on. His future in the NBA, I'm on the fence with. But it's all going to depend on what teams want to give up. And at this point, trading for John Collins shouldn't require too much, I don't think. And his contract's pretty onerous as well. So I can see a team going for him, but is it a... Like, let's look at the Brooklyn team. Yeah, starting him instead of like a Royce O'Neal or a Dorian Finney-Smith at the four next to Claxton. Yeah, it's pretty good, yeah? It makes makes sense. Next to Bridges, next to Johnson. Can work okay. They probably need different things than that, but that works okay. So there are plenty of teams where it would work nicely. There are other teams where it just would be as bad as it is now. Because it's not like he didn't start here in Atlanta. He did. But the minutes were down and the deprioritization for him in the offense was crazy. And they've got other options. They've got, well, we'll talk about them later. We've got, they've got other guys they can put in this position. So I'm on the fence as to where, I'm not ruling out a bounce back from John Collins, but it's going to be very location dependent. Towards the end when Quinn arrived, we did see some drops in his production even further, which again, to me, fuels my thought process of Quinn's going to be like, yeah, look, let's do something different here. And then the front office just tries to move on some way. In the playoffs though, his impact, which that dotted line on that graph is the playoffs, 
His impact improved. He was okay. I wouldn't say he was great, but he was okay. So he is a little bit of a conundrum. He's a little bit of a conundrum. And his age range fits perfectly with Trey and with DeJounte, with a lot of these other guys. But the way that you need to utilize him to get the most out of it, it's just not going to happen on this team, I don't think. Let's go to Bogdan Bogdanovich, who missed the beginning of the season with knee surgery. So we were very much out on drafting him. And when he came back, didn't really do it, did he? 141st in category leagues, despite playing 28 minutes a night off the injury, 147th in points leagues. He was drafted 136. I'm not going to kill people for drafting him there, whatever, that's fine. He's also going to be 31 when next season rolls around. He played 54 games, 28 minutes, 20% usage. 14 points, 2.7 threes, 0.8 steals, 3 assists. Really the only player on this team that shot well, 41% from three. Trey didn't shoot well. DeJounte can't really shoot that well. Collins can't shoot. Capella can't shoot. And when we go all the way back to the first slide that we did on this show, is talking about the best lineup, having Bogdanovich in there next to Trey, like having someone that can handle the ball and shoot, which DeJounte can't do both of those things, it worked. And having DeJounte around and splitting the minutes so that him and Trey were always on the court together was always a fear for me with Bogdanovich's value. Usage down under 20 and assist rate well down. This is a guy that peak, could peak out at 17 points with five assists or four and a half assists, but we're past that now in his career. His advanced stuff was okay. Darko had him at a yeah, pretty good number, 67th actually. And even though he, there was a big dip from him as he returned from his knee problem, but slowly improved as the season went on, he was he was solid. But you want to talk about players who don't fit on this timeline of this team, even though his skill set is highly valuable, it's him. And there are, there's someone else who could very easily take this role. So if they are blowing things up, or not even blowing it up, but making wholesale changes, this team has a lot of players that can come in and play roles from the bench or out of the rotation that they were. Nothing to see really too much there with that points graph, I don't think. And his overall EPM graph, like really was so strong in the playoffs. Again, just showing that I think that the player that he is, a ball handling shooter, is someone that works quite well next to Trey. And he put up some really good numbers. But again, he is 31 and I worry about where it goes. Let's talk about the depressed penis, Sadiq Bey who you know that I'm not a big fan of as a player. I think he is someone that gets overhyped and overvalued significantly and overvalued not by the NBA, I guess, because he got traded for nothing, really. The Pistons just said, see you later. Now, I can quibble with what the how the Pistons valued and used him, but he's not that good. He's a guy that gives off the profile of a 3 and D player who doesn't shoot the three that well and is a bad defender and has tunnel vision and really struggles a lot of the time not going to write him off, but he is 24 already. He's extension eligible this offseason as a rookie. He's got one more year on his rookie deal. He finished 157th in category leagues despite playing 28 minutes, 145th in points leagues. He was drafted way too high at 92. He's just, I don't know what he does. That's good. 14 points, two threes, five rebounds, 0.9 steals, one assist, 42% shooting, 36 from three, 86 from the line is really strong, but 20 usage. He would just go wildly up and down. We're going to show that graph in a second. But encouragingly, his Darko really did improve as the season went on. I think he's a really interesting player that if you moved on from John Collins and started him full-time, wouldn't be what I would do. But if you did that, I don't know how badly that impacts your team. It doesn't necessarily mean that Sadiq gets huge numbers. But in terms of impact on the team, it could be okay. I still don't think that if we're talking good teams, final eight type teams, teams that are playing at this point of the season now, 
that we're at, is Bay your ninth best guy, eighth best guy? Probably that's where he should fit. And I think that we'll ever, we'll struggle to ever have a top 100 fantasy season from Sadiq Bay, and just be like the interesting guy that can pop up at times. But if you ever have to run a situation where he's self-creating and he's getting usage where your team is going to be de- terrible and he can't pass, he can't defend, and anyone can score. Kenny Lofton scored 40 points, right? If everything is tailored around him and no other teammates are around. But that's not the aim of the game in the NBA. It's not to get, well, let's pick one random player to score. That's not how the game works. So he can never be that guy that you do base things around, I don't think. And he doesn't do enough in the supporting categories to give him that fantasy value. You can see the blue line on that fantasy points graph of the the absolute inconsistency. You, you can see um, that it dropped significantly when he joined Atlanta because he went from a 30-minute-a-night role to playing 22 minutes a night coming off the bench behind John Collins. Again, there were times where they started him. He'd start with Hunter out. He'd start with Collins. He started in different spots. But overall, I, I think he is like a 24 to 25-a-night, 25-minute-a-night player who you don't want to rely upon to be a starter. That brings us to the other starter, who I'm not sure is better than Sadiq Bay, and that's DeAndre Hunter. So this team has got a lot of players where I really like them, or I perhaps, as you might suggest, hate on them too much. And I just think this guy's a nothing, DeAndre Hunter. He's a nothing. He was an ADP of 138. He was locked into the starters role, played 32 minutes a night, but still can't couldn't be a top 150 player in either points or categories leagues. He's 25 now. He did play 67 games in 32 minutes, 20 usage, 15 points, but four rebounds, 1.4 assists, and an honestly disgusting 0.5 steals and 0.3 blocks. Again, a 3 and D guy who's not a 3 and D guy for fantasy, hasn't taken enough threes, hasn't hit enough threes, hasn't generated any defensive stats. And at this point in his career, four years in, it's not going to change, I don't think. I don't think we're going to get a materially large enough change in his defensive stats, in his rebounding ability, in his vision, in his passing, in his team play to change anything here. Can he defend well at times? He can, yes, sure. He can. But even the advanced metrics don't love him, and Darko hates him. Ranks him the 335th best player. Hasn't had a little sp- stretch there. Remember that start of the 2020-2021 season where he was hitting like 60% of his twos and 45% of his threes and then had an injury that cost him the season? His value went way up. And then since then, he's just hovered as a replacement-ish level player or your rotation level player. But as a starter, doesn't make sense. This is where, again, this team gets into this weird situation is that he should be that guy, 6'8", 6'9", guy that is a good defender but doesn't generate any sort of defensive plays. But offensively, doesn't really do what you need him to do. Doesn't take enough threes, doesn't pass enough, doesn't rebound, doesn't contribute anywhere across the board. And I don't think he's ever going to be a useful fantasy option. I remember in his rookie season, you know, he was picked fourth overall that I had him about 15th, I think, in Dynasty rookie rankings because he just didn't look like he had any ability to generate bulk fantasy stats. And that has proven out pretty clearly, I think. He just continues to be like mid. Or never a good sign when the red is above the blue on this graph, meaning you are under a fantasy point per minute. And he was considerably right across the season. And I don't even know that if multiple players went out that he would be able to just rise and elevate his game. I don't know that he's got that in him. The EPM graph doesn't tell us a huge amount. Quinn Snyder arrived, didn't change huge amounts for him. The guy that I think you should be really interested in, well, there are there are the next two players we're going to talk about that have 
really, really interesting profiles, but it requires a ballsy coach and a ballsy front office to get there. Let's start, first of all, with Adrian Griffin Jr. I thought that Griffin fell way too far in the draft. Once the Wizards passed on him to pick Johnny Davis, I was incredulous at that. Made no sense. I would have considered Griffin in the top 10. He is hyper young. He's still only 19 and a half. He doesn't turn 20 until like December. He's younger than so many players that are going to get drafted in this coming draft. Think of the, the Thompson twins and Brandon Miller, for example. He's like almost a full year younger than those guys. He's young. He missed a ton of time at Duke with the injury. And I thought when he was given opportunities this season, he played pretty well. It doesn't reflect that well in the fantasy numbers, 273 in category leagues, 20 minutes a night, 18 usage, 9 points, 1.43s, 0.6 steals. But he hit 39% from three as a rookie. He hit 89% from the line. His advanced numbers are okay, but they're not mind-blowing. The Darko graph doesn't show huge, huge improvements. It's not a great, great sign. He's not necessarily going to be a well-rounded guy right across the board. But I do have a little bit of faith in him being a 1.2 steals player, in being a 16, 17-point scorer with three triples a game, and being like a five-rebound, three-assist sort of a player. Okay, never pushing top 50, but being a long-term NBA starter. And this is what I mean when you've got Bay, you've got Hunter, you've got an aging Bogdanovich. Griffin probably should find a larger role next season. That's a lot going to come down to Quinn Snyder, and maybe he's probably maybe he's one more year away from it, Griffin. But he's a guy that you know. I think that you know, he was missing it in times from rotations towards the end of the season as well. I think we've got to start to look at him as a. This might be a real buy low opportunity again. Hyper young, very young, so much room to grow still, and improve. And what I saw as a rookie at that young age was very impressive. And that shooting with a little bit of ball handling, a little bit of perimeter defense, is not quite the ball handler of Bogdan Bogdanovic, but they're 12 years difference in age. All right, so this could be the evolution or the replacement for a Bogdanovic who plays a 27-minute-a-night role off the bench and then does become a starter next to Trey at some point. I'm really intrigued as to where he, what happens with him next season, but... There is a lot to look at and a lot to like when guys like Hunter and Bay and Bogdanovich, who's older again, like I'm not really sure where they fit in. I'm not sure he's big enough or strong enough to defend at the three. Don't know that he's there yet, but I'm not going to rule that out. I was just quite impressed. Now, the season did start to decrease with him. His production dropped off and he did, you know, as you can see, all those blue dots at the end of that graph there. If you are on YouTube, you can see like he just wasn't a part of the rotation in the playoffs, which is not a great sign. But again, if they do decide with a fairly hefty retool, I think that he's going to be a guy finding uh, minutes. This guy, the last guy I'm going to talk about here, I'm very confident that he's going to have a role next season. And that is Jalen Johnson. Like the 19th pick two years ago in the draft first round, almost the same spot that John Collins has picked. It might actually be the exact same pick. It was nothing the numbers, 296. All right, cool. 281st in, in points leagues, no problem. He's 21. 70 games, 15 minutes, 16 usage, five points, four rebounds. Half a steal, half a block. That's intriguing. Half a steal, half a block. One assist. Shot only 29% from three. Like nothing totally stands out here. Except look at that graph. Look at that Darko graph. It just continues to get better and better 
and better. And he ended the season as the 128th best player in Darko with a plus 0.2. He was 61st percentile on EPM. He was 60th percentile compared to starters in LeBron. They are all unbelievably positive numbers. He, he did have some injuries mid-season, but he forced his way back into the rotation, playing really, really key roles. And I think if I'm looking at this team, this is the guy that, do, could I start him next season? I wouldn't rule it out. I wouldn't rule out going, hey, you know what? Johnson, Akongwu, you're our four and five. Clint and John, we've moved on. We've benched you. We've traded you, whatever. Sadiq, you say, stay as a backup. I would love to see a lineup very similar to that best lineup we said at the start. Trade DeJounte, Griffin, Johnson, Okongwu. I don't think they would do it, but I think that we're going to see a big opportunity for Jalen Johnson. And I think while it is a little bit maybe still of a buy low, that is closing pretty quickly in a dynasty league. I'm really interested in what Jalen Johnson can do. I think that he is a natural replacement for John Collins. And in year three coming up at age 21, under a new coach, a little bit of shooting ability, some good defensive ability, some crazy athleticism, a little bit of passing vision, better passer, I think, than John Collins can be. There's something about what he can do that I like in the playoff rotation as well. Just enough there for Jalen Johnson that I look at it and go, hmm, all right, I think, yeah, I don't know that I'll be drafting him in standard leagues next season, but when we get to that last round in a standard league, that 150, 140 zone, if the sort of retooling that I think is going to happen happens, and I don't know that it does. I don't know that they move on from Bogdanovich or they move on from Collins or they move on from Capella or all three or none of them. I, I don't know any of that. But I feel really good about saying, Jalen Johnson's going to be in the rotation. And if you've got Johnson, Bay, Hunter, Griffin, Capella, Okongwu, someone needs to go out of that group because he, Jalen Johnson is going to be in the rotation and someone needs to move away for that to happen. And that's, I think it is time for him and it's time for Okongwu to step up. It's probably a 2% chance that they're your opening night starters. But I'm not, I'm not ruling that out. And that will do it for me today. Don't forget, follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app and on YouTube. Thumb it up. Leave your comments down below, guys. We are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.